a child cultivate an understanding of humanity? How do they learn kindness, empathy, and respect for others? Every individual must learn what it means to be human. And early childhood is when this learning begins. What matters most for our youngest children is how we are with them. They're following their leaders. I'm Judy Jablon, founder and executive director of Leading for Children. At Leading for Children, we support adults so they can be effective models because for children, every moment counts. We have developed the Humanity First model to create thriving communities for us and children. We practice 11 simple rules that guide us in ensuring children's success now and in the future. Last month, we examined the rule of trusting relationships and interactions. And today, let's think about what it means for our relationships and interactions to be two-way. To join me in this conversation are my dear friends. So let's do some introductions. Hello, everyone. Both here and listening in, I am Nicole Parks, the Deputy Executive Director at Leading for Children and a mom and a grandmother and excited to be here. And Beverly, I'll pass it to you. Thank you, Nicole. Greetings, everyone. I'm Beverly Erdman, recently retired from the Department of Defense Education Activity and served several roles in my 36 years there as a teacher, a coordinator, a curriculum coordinator, as well as an administrator. And I'm very excited to be here with such a great group and joining you. So now I'll turn it over to Shannon. Thank you, Bev. I am Shannon Newman, Senior Program Manager with Leading for Children, and I am also a wife, mother, and grandmother, and I'm happy to be here. Wow. We have a lot of robust, incredible experience today to think about our two-way interactions in all of the different settings and in all of the different relationships that the four of us share in common and also have as unique humans. So I'd like to start with a quote from our book, 11 Simple Rules to Create Thriving Communities for Children. And it goes like this. Most of us have had interactions that are one way. One person just talks and talks. A two-way conversation or interaction involves real back and forth between both people, whether it's in the moment when you and the other person take time to genuinely listen to each other or pause between sentences to think, or maybe it's over time where there's give and take, a two-way relationship that's equitable and in my experience, more satisfying. So I'd like to invite us to think about how do we think about two-way relationships, two-way interactions in our personal experiences, I should say personal and professional experiences. When one of you is ready, just chime in. One of the things that comes to mind for me in effective two-way communication is a mutual respect. Respect that is communicated by an active listening and engagement. As you mentioned, Judy, being there present in the moment and really looking at and listening to the other person. So I think that two-way communication is so important and especially critical for us to model it for our students so they learn what are the effects and how they can be effective communicators. 
Thank you for that, Bev. I'll add on to what you've said, Bev, because when I think about two-way communication, I can remember as a young teacher, us learning about back and forth, right? The serve and return. And it was somewhere along my own personal growth. For me, I think about that serve and return. And I also think about that moment of togetherness. Like it's not just a serve and return. I give, you give back. There's also this mutuality and you named what I couldn't for me when you said respect. And so I think for me, that is an important part of two-way, that mutual respect and that togetherness. Nicole, could I invite you to say a little more about serve and return? It may be that some of our listeners are familiar with that expression and the research behind it, and you speak so eloquently about it. I'd like to hold space for that. Oh, well, thank you, Judy, for that invitation. I think the plainest way I would say serve and return is the idea, especially with young children, when we are in conversation with them, even our nonverbal children, whether that be infants or ones that may have autism, whatever the reason, but even when they're nonverbal, it is really this active engagement of watching, listening, observing, hearing their cues, both the vocal and the nonverbal cues, and then responding to that. And also being sure that we're holding that space or that invitation, I like to call it, so that they have time to respond and we have time to then interpret the cues that they gave us and then to give back and to extend that conversation. So Shannon, I promised to hold space for you to just talk about it from your perspective Let's just stay in this serve and return because I think so much about households and families and the frustration that is so often expressed by parents about their own children, about grandparents, about their own grandchildren. What are those cues, Bev, Shannon, Nicole, if you could talk about kind of a, a good one and help our listeners also envision a not so good one. And, you know, what is serve and return when it really does affect brain development? What does that look like and what doesn't it look like? I think for me, it looks like being that actively present person with eye contact and having the body language that maybe you're not speaking, but you are open and you are turned to that person or to that child on their level and really showing them that you are active in that two-way relationship, regardless of the level of communication that is happening. I think it's also in the return, an indication that you are actively listening so that your response is part of what the child has just shared with you or your family member has just shared with you and you haven't gone off on some other tangent. I know I've been guilty in the past of listening to someone thinking that I'm listening and I'm forming a response that may or may not really be in the moment. So I think that the challenge sometimes is to, as Shannon said, be present, be actively present and have your mind be open to really listen. When you said that, Bev, I thought about how I have to catch myself so often, whether it's with my husband or a good friend, or I'm on the phone and the person is still in their sentence and I can feel myself already starting to plan how I want to respond and turning that off. Oh, that's so like, it takes, it takes so much commitment, but I hate when I'm interrupted. 
you know, I hate when someone doesn't let me think my thought all the way through. And similarly, I was thinking about how as a young teacher, I so didn't understand serve and return. And, you know, I would ask a child a question and if they didn't respond immediately, I would just be right there with another question. And I didn't even know how to look for nonverbal responses, you know, whether there was a little nod of the head or that the child looked away from me because they didn't want to answer my question in that moment. And then I think about watching the other day, I was at the bakery early in the morning and I watched this mom and her infant and the mom's ability to do serve and return, it took my breath away. You know, there weren't a lot of words, certainly from the baby's point of view, but there were coups, but her patience and, you know, she would give a little something and then she had this wonderfully expectant and delighted look and the baby would give back something and then she would do another little thing. And it was literally like watching the ping pong going back and forth and back and forth. And the two of them were connected. It was a fierce connection and it was so beautiful. So Shannon, you didn't get a turn to just sort of say what's in your mind about two-way interactions. In my mind, I'm thinking about how both individuals are showing up in a vulnerable way that you are there in a commitment, that you are going to be part of a give and take, and that there is trust in yourself that you're showing up in that way, and also trusting that that other individual, your partner in that two-way relationship, is also going to show up in that way. And so for me, it's, it's really sharing thoughts and feelings and also recognizing the needs of the other person while you're in that interaction. Thank you for that, Shannon. I'm writing that down because I think what you did for me just then is gave some descriptor to the idea of respect. You know, Bev, you opened with respect. And then even as we talked about active listening, it's not just making sure my ears are open and my mind is calm, but it's like, what am I being asked for? And how am I being invited to listen? And I think when that chemistry happens, that's when that serve and return and that two-wayness is just so exquisite. Let me share a, a piece of research before we go on. And that is that intentional two-way communication not only requires active listening, but it encourages active listening. Listening is more than simply hearing another's perspective. It can have impacts on the health of our relationship and our overall well-being. It allows us to understand another's humanity and feel understood in our own. When this happens, we soften and can practice greater empathy and kindness towards ourselves and others. Also, listening can lead to a mutual creative thought process that yields clarity, facilitates the generation of novel plans, increases well-being, and strengthens attachment to the conversation partner. That's Kluger and Ichikov, 2022. So let's think about first this idea of understanding another's humanity and feeling understood in our own. And I'd love to invite you to think about a time that you were 
kind of in an interaction, it felt two way and you felt understood and you also felt like you were understanding. Well, I'll get us started because that question really did intrigue me. So I, I had a chance to really think about it. And it made me actually think about an interaction with my oldest daughter that at first was so not two-way. And because of her wisdom and who she was, I guess, invited it to become two-way. So she was a young adult. And as young adults often do, made a decision that as her mom, I did not agree with, nor did I support. And we were having a conversation about it. And I remember it getting heated. And it was so my telling her all the reasons why her decision was not the best for her. And it was so not about me hearing her perspective. And in the middle of that, she said, mom, just listen to me. And I said, I am listening to you, sassy girl. And she said, no, you're listening at me, but you're not listening from me. And I was like, what does that even mean? And she said, you're listening from your place as my mom to protect. You're not listening from my perspective as the person who wants to do this. And so I carried that forward and it, it did become a two-way conversation. And so I said, okay, I have big feelings about this. I wanna acknowledge that. Now I wanna listen from you. And so oftentimes I'll tell myself that I'll go, uh-uh, listen from, because I realize that sometimes I'm listening to people or at them, I'm not hearing their perspective. And I think that's where that respect and that togetherness comes from. I'm just thinking about my dad and just really being raised by someone who saw me even as a small child and what a gift that really was. And in our interactions and communication, there was always a two-wayness that I can remember of there being equal ground that when we were interacting, it wasn't somebody with less value or less power, we were a team working together to make a decision or to accomplish a task or do whatever it was as a family that we were doing. And one way he really did that was always asking questions and follow-up, never just leaving a, let's do this and me ask a question and him not respond or not be present in that conversation. What comes to mind for me is more of an example of an observation with a fellow teacher who is very strong teacher and was very able to communicate with all children. And in this particular case, the child had been identified as autistic and many people had difficulties with communicating. But this teacher and observing her, I learned so much from her because she was able to be there in the moment with the child, be able to read the child's cues and as listen when was appropriate, when appropriate, cue the child if the child needed strategies or needed some help from her. But she always would stop and pause and allow the child first to have the opportunity to come through and resolve the issue or communicate what their needs were. And I was always really mesmerized by her ability to communicate with all children but in particular with children that many other people had difficulties communicating with because of her ability to be there in the moment, really listen, really look, really feel, and respond appropriately. Mm -hmm. 
I appreciate you adding that word feel because I think Shannon, you used the phrase before, uh, recognizing the needs of the other. And Nicole, when you talked about listening from and you introduced perspective taking. And so it sounds, Bev, like this teacher had the capacity to demonstrate respect by really listening from, feeling, and kind of staying focused on the cues of the needs of this child. How powerful is that? So those are experiences of either observing professionally an effective two-way interaction, being the parent, and also being the child of. So we got three different perspectives of what a good one looks, sounds, and feels like, and some strategies around the how. I'd like to invite us to think about an example of an interaction that didn't feel two-way. And obviously we're not gonna name names, so feel free to be detailed. And together, I think we can pull out sort of what makes it not two-way so that it's something that we don't invest too much energy in when it happens so that it doesn't hurt so much. As a new toddler teacher in a program many years ago, many, many years ago now, I had a lot of questions and ideas. I was passionate about learning, how to interact and enrich learning for the children. I loved showing up to work every day. Toddlers were a new experience and I loved it. But my director often kept his door shut. When I asked questions, they were kind of tossed away or we'll look at that a different day. And my ideas often were laughed at, almost like, oh, you're bringing this to me, but, but you don't know what you're talking about. And so around every corner, my ideas and this passion I had was being put in a box that I felt that I could not communicate with anyone about. And luckily, I ended up with a different program director. The experience was very, very different. But that is what comes to mind when I think about an interaction that, that did not feel two-way and did not produce those two-way results that we really hope for. Thank you for that, Shannon. I heard in your story feeling invisible and that the consequences of that, of not feeling listened to, is a decline in motivation, a decline in self-esteem. I think there's so much power in us paying attention to that as leaders, as models for children, as humans moving forward in our respective worlds. Nicole or Bev, something come to mind either in response to Shannon's story or your own story about an interaction which didn't work so well or that you observed not working so well. I was in a situation and it was with a group of teachers working together to work through an issue and resolve the problem. I felt as if we were making progress, but there was one person in particular who was getting very annoyed with the discussion. And I'm not sure what I could have done differently, but I could sense that. And then she started being very sarcastic and in a way that actually upset me to the point where I just knew that I had to leave. I couldn't respond because at that moment in time, my feelings were very strong, a mixture of anger and resentment. And I thought, I, I can't pull together my thoughts well enough to communicate effectively right now. And I said to the group, I apologize, but I need to leave at this point. 
because I need to sort through my feelings and I think it would be more productive to come back at a later time and resolve these issues. You know, Bev, we have a colleague who gave us an expression that we use a lot. This colleague said, that's so cool. We got to take a yellow highlighter and highlight it. And I, I just thought about how you said that your emotions were unequivocally triggered by the other person's behavior. And I just think about households between like 5.30 and 8.30, you know, whatever time people get home from their day and there's this transition to when one is supposed to go to sleep calmly to rest one's body so that you can start the next day. And how many of us can share moments in our various life experiences where you don't get to go to sleep calm because sarcasm, anger, you know, something has not only happened, but escalated. And that there's a mistake in thinking about how two-way is the war that breaks out. Because what that is, is the absence of understanding, the absence of respect. It's about winning. It's not about being curious. It's not about recognizing your own emotions. And I wish I could say, oh, I've got this one nailed. You know, I feel like I have a gold star in failure on this one, but I at least could hear in your story how powerful it was for you to know, to have that self-awareness, to say, I can't be here now. And imagine if when those emotions escalate, especially between children and adults, we could have a pause to regroup. I'm curious, Bev, what happened after? Well, it was interesting. Several people came up and almost apologized for the other person. And I said, well, no, it's not an issue of that. It's more when I'm feeling a mixture of those feelings that I can't identify. I don't want to keep going. I want to stop and step away. Like you're saying, I want to hit pause because at that point in time, I'm more or less blaming the other person, but I know that's not the source of it all, that there's something inside of me that I need to identify that provoke that reaction. And, and I've told people before, if I ask to leave, it's not because I'm angry at you. It's that I need to step back. Like you said, Judy, I need to hit pause and just sort through it because it's never one as, as much as sometimes I'd like it to be, well, it's your fault. It's never that that's not the case. There's something going on within the communication that within your own self has triggered a reaction that I don't understand at the time. But once I step back, a lot of times I am able to sort it through. And I was able to go back to that person. And we both came to terms with what happened and move forward. <laughs> Thank you so much for that story. In a previous podcast conversation, I believe it was our conversation, Nicole, about honest. You know, we talked about being, you know, our full authentic selves. And there's so much authenticity in not necessarily knowing how you feel, but knowing that whatever's happening isn't how you want to be in that moment. And, you know, we talk about the commitment of cultivate self-awareness. And I try sometimes to analyze how I'm feeling in the moment. But when there's heightened emotions, I think my winning moment is when I know to hit pause and go away. So some of the strategies we've talked about today in terms of 
you know, being effective in two-way conversations is pause. That's come up again and again, the power of pausing. We've talked about listening from the other person's perspective. We've talked about attending to how your mind is working as you're listening and making sure you're holding on to a focus, staying present, being an observer with your eyes, with your ears, and also your heart. Shannon talked about the feeling piece. I'd like to sort of ask another question, which is when another person is dominating a conversation and the conversation doesn't feel two-way, has anybody tried anything to help get it back on course besides leaving? <laughs> I have to confess that I'm asking this question with the genuine curiosity to learn. That's a tough one. <laughs> That is a tough one. <laughs> it makes me think about, I have a wonderful colleague. So VP Parker, if you're ever listening, here's a shout out to you. But he once said in a conversation, in a band, everybody plays a part. So if the band doesn't sound good, you don't just go to one person and say, hey, you you did not do well on the violin today, right? You're thinking about how you play together as a band. And so I think part of the strategy is being able to ask yourself, what part am I playing in this? Because going back to ascribing positive intent, could it be that because you're choosing to be silent, that person is continuing to talk because they're trying to engage you? Sometimes that could legitimately be it you know, or is it that you need to speak up some and say, I'd like to share my perspective. So I haven't necessarily tried those strategies, but because of this podcast and thinking about that on my morning walk, that was the thing that was playing in the back of my mind in a band, we all have a part to play. And so what part am I playing in creating this space where one voice is dominating? Because to your point, Bev, it, it would be great to say it's you the other person, right? But if it's two-way, it's two-way in all the ways. That means I'm playing a part in the conversation too. At Leading for Children, we have a, a technique that we use, a, a part of our mutual learning method that we call the carousel. And the carousel was designed with the idea that as a general rule, people dominate a conversation. And you know, a question comes out into the world and each of us may have an answer, but the first person to talk is usually the direction that the conversation goes. And so the principle behind carousel is that a question is posed and we each take a time to think and jot down our thoughts and our thoughts aren't going to get lost if we've recorded them. And so Shannon goes and then Nicole goes and then you go Bev and then I go and the understanding is that we won't interrupt each other and that we won't interrupt the flow of four voices because we know that after four voices have gone, then we have a turn. And now we're responding to the band's music, not just to what Shannon said or what Bev said, but we have a collection of perspectives. And I think one thing that comes to mind is, you know, I've jokingly introduced that at like a dinner table and I can't call it a carousel, but I can sort of say, well, what do you guys think about, you know, everybody shares a story before we kind of respond to the stories. And sometimes people are willing and sometimes people are not, but anytime people are willing 
the discussion is always great because every voice has been heard. It's amazing how time flies in these conversations, but I do want to ask one more question, and that is, let's think about being in an environment where we're either part of two-way interactions or we're in the same environment as where good two-way interactions are going on. And what's the emotional climate like when relationships and interactions have this mutuality, this respect, this back and forth? Can you think of environments where that is the case and how it feels and how children experience it? Bev, the story I was wondering if you would share is the one you shared with me about the parent and the teacher and oh, this wonderful teacher, the one that was so mortified by the behavior of the child. They had come together to discuss the child's behavior. And I don't even remember what the incident was, but the parents were simply mortified. And the teacher was saying, we're here to work this through and move on. And, and the child has done his part. Now we as a group need to come to terms and, and move forward because after today, we're moving forward. Well, the father just kept apologizing and going on and on about how sorry he was and how embarrassed he was. And, and finally, the teacher said, dad, let it go, spit it out, spit it out and look at me. <laughs> and she said to the dad, do it, do it, spit it out. And he he did it a couple of times and then he laughed and there was humor and there really was a sense that we could move forward. And I've actually used that phrase many times since, spit it out. And I've told her in our conversations, I said, there are times when I thought that I've spit it out and let it go and something happens and I realize, oh no, it's right there. I'm still holding on. But I think that it was so important because she could sense that the parents were holding on to something that was was negative and it wasn't productive and she wanted them to know that she had moved on and that they needed to move on and i think that story is so powerful because i'm going back to where nicole you used the word togetherness when you were first talking about two-way interactions and shannon this idea of recognizing the needs of others and that teacher was creating an emotional climate of wellness. And she was saying, we have to move on because we have to move on and your child has to move on and we want wellness. And that is just such a story of empathy and compassion and humanity and the desire to have a healthier emotional climate as a result of being connected to people as opposed to in different camps. I'm just thinking about the environment that the child was in after the parent and the teacher aligned and witnessing their partnership and that communication and even the conflict resolution skills that they used to get past that, seeing that, you know, treatment of respect, even if they weren't present, the child wasn't present for that conversation, you know, that emotion and that respect for one another carried over that the child did see and how that models just empathy and kindness for the child in the child furthering relationships with others. Listening to you, Bev, and then listening to you, Shannon, 
I also thought about those environments where you see two ways. So when a child, if something happens, they run to what I call their safe adult, right? And that is that adult that they have that two-way with. And in that two-wayness, it's we can move forward. And as a child, I'm learning I have a responsibility in owning my actions and moving forward. Yet I am doing it together with someone else. And so I just thought about how two-way really creates emotional, safe environments for children. As I, with disappointment, wrap us up because this conversation is so evocative and there's just so much we can keep talking about. I'm thinking about how we care. We want to be sure that we're living good lives. It's good for our health and well-being. And of course, we're all here in the service of making sure that our children have the best possible opportunities for growth and learning and equity and thriving lives. The research that I mentioned earlier that talked about how being in these two-way relationships where you feel visible and valued and respected leads to creative thought process, greater clarity, better ideas, well-being, attachment, all of which are so, so important. And then we talked about how when it's not good, we can actively pause and use our sense of agency to try to turn it around. And I think that's what it means to be an optimistic leader for children. And I think that's so much about our why. At Leading for Children, our approach to building strong communities for us and for children starts with each one of us, making the commitment to be our best selves as much as possible. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today, whether we were here together, in fact, or whether you were with us in our larger community as we explored two-way another of our 11 simple rules. Please check out our book, 11 Simple Rules for Thriving Communities, which you can find on our website at www.leadingforchildren.org and click on bookstore, or please sign up to get our newsletter every month and be a member of our Humanity First community. Have a great day.